Good Tuesday morning, folks. Today is October 18th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. And for those of you who are coming back for more, I'm blessed you're here. Be sure to tell your friends and your loved ones that they too can be a part of the Thy Strong Word family by listening over the air on AMH50 in St. Louis, online at kfuo.org, or through their favorite podcasting app. Thy Strong Word is brought to you by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translation and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. And while you're online, send me an email to ask a question, make a comment, or just say hello. It helps me to hear from you because you too are a part of the conversation. Email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Well, our text for this morning, Daniel chapter 3. After Daniel had interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream of a mighty statue, the king seemingly got the idea of fashioning a giant statue of himself covered in gold. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar erected this towering idol in honor of his kingdom and gods, but it was really a 90-foot incarnation of the king's sinful pride. This chapter begins with the king calling together all the officials in the kingdom to dedicate the massive idol. And he had an edict too. Everyone must bow down and worship it. Well, with me today to examine just what's going on here, I'm pleased to welcome regular guest, the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Pastor Shank, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Well, thank you for having me on. It's always an honor, always a, a joy and a pleasure to to dig into God's word, to to see what what we can um, what we can learn, but also what we can um, apply and be strengthened and edified in our own lives. Uh, and there is much, obviously, much encouragement here um, in Daniel chapter three for us. It's an excellent example of clear law and clear gospel. Um, and uh, But, you know, Pastor, you talked about application. I'm, I'm curious, have you ever been put in a position where someone in authority over you commanded you to do something you believe was against God's will? Um, well, <laughs> it might Any get a fiery little fiery furnaces in your past? <laughs> no, um, I, I think there definitely is, a, you know, I, I, you know, maybe— uh, when I when I talk about application, I'm working for the church. I hope the church is not asking me to do something against God's word. Um, but um, our members, our members are really they are really struggling, and I, I definitely don't want to make light of their struggles uh, to remain faithful in a sense um, because they are being called to bend the knee to to things that aren't. Um, are not uh, from God's word, are, are are not edifying to God's creation, and they're being called to do such things, and to the to the threat of maybe not of losing their life, but their livelihood uh, sure. of, of being fired. So, uh, yeah, I've had many conversations with my members, um, not asking me to do it, but are talking about <laughs> right. their struggle um, in their workplace about. Um, about LGBTQ, mm-hmm. uh, things like that, and um, and and others about yeah, sort of the new their diversity conscience. movement. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, how, I, and I've experienced they remain things faithful? too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we've all, if we think about it, have experienced things where either the government is asking us to behave in such a way that is inconsistent with our faith, whether we are, whether, frankly, whether we are pastors or leaders in a church or whether we work out in the uh, in a job somewhere, like a square job, as I like to say. Uh, when I used to be a private investigator, I was asked to do things all the time that I look back and think, you know, that's not exactly consistent with Christian behavior. Um, so whether it was on the level of bow down and worship this golden idol or we're going to kill you, yeah, thankfully, we haven't experienced, most of us haven't experienced something like that. But as you said, um, it's it's wild to think about. But yeah, if we drill down, there are people out there who are experiencing things right now. I bring it up because I've had some listener feedback as we get into Daniel about, is this something that we will cover? You know, how to respect and honor the emperor and obey uh, governing authorities, but also when push comes to shove, how and when must we then obey God rather than men. And so I don't know that this is a very nuanced text because it's extremely clear what the situation is, but hopefully our listeners will benefit from our discussion this morning. Yeah. And I I do think, I do think with the example of Daniel and the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they do, uh, they do consistently want to show honor to, uh, to the king. And yet, uh, their ultimate allegiance is to the Lord alone. And, and so when they're pushed uh, to the brink, um, they, they will remain faithful. Um, but when, they, when there's ways to, um, to show respect, they still want to show respect. And, and you saw that in chapter one. Um, there was maybe some uh, instances of it in chapter two with how Daniel talks to the king. And, and I, think there is, um, I think there is still uh, that here in chapter three too. Absolutely. Well, we have 30 verses to get through today, so I'd like to begin. Would you start us off in prayer? Yes, let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, your servants Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego remain faithful to you, alone, unwilling to bend the knee to the image. Abide with your servants today, your, your church, that we would remain faithful, willing to bear all, even to the point of giving our lives and our confession to worship you alone. For you are the one who rescues us from the fiery furnace of our sin, of death, and of the power of the devil. Through your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Yeah, as you said, in chapters one and two, the first, you know, stories or narratives or or situations that occurred that Daniel relates to us, we see that they do their best to honor the king. And and this is a king who they don't agree with theologically, a king that they know is a, a pagan who considers himself uh, in, in many ways a god, who uh, is very demanding and <laughs> and yet They recognize that he has authority over them. So as much as I'd say Daniel 3 is a great example of obeying God rather than men, Daniels 1 and 2, as you pointed out, and very, very uh, appropriately, demonstrate that we also have to find ways to, I don't want to say compromise to the culture because that's certainly not what I want listeners to hear, but we have to find ways to be in the world but not of it. We have to find ways to be able to live in a world that is uh, in rebellion against God, 
and yet still remained faithful to God. And that is where it becomes very difficult. It does because they were trying. They really were trying to respect all of God's word, um, the, the fourth commandment and the first commandment. And, and that does often become uh, troublesome and, and hard uh, in these situations or in a situation, you know, Daniel 3, <laughs> Daniel 4. Uh, as you're reading Daniel 3 and Daniel 4, I would encourage people to read Revelation 13 as well, um, because we have this sense that here, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon is is the is really the epitome of of this um, of, of this hubris against against God, this pride that we um, that we can uh, even be above Him, that we should put all of our our fear, love, honor, respect in into the governmental structures of political powers. And that's what we put all of our faith and and that's what we put all of our hope and that's what we put all of our fear. So when you talked about, you know, do we face this? Well, yeah. And anything that, you know, calls me to, to trust it above everything else, you know, without question, um, anything that calls me to fear its power without, without question, well then, yeah, I mean, then that is the image that we're called not to worship, uh, but to worship the Lord alone. Anything else you want to lay on the table before we read the first seven verses? The only thing I would say, maybe a little context, is it seems if you have been tracking, I hope that you are, the listeners, um, with chapter two to three, it seems like, um, just like you said at the beginning, like we've had this wild swing, right? We, we've heard um, about this uh, dream. We had the interpretation of the dream. It should have led uh, Nebuchadnezzar into repentance and to trust in the Lord who is who is greater uh, than this um, than this giant image that he saw in his dream of all the kingdoms of the world. And then one day his kingdom, obviously, and it already does rule over all things, but it will uh, put an end to all kingdoms as his kingdom is everlasting. Um, and it seems like, well, shouldn't he have not <laughs> um, immediately erected an image? But one thing to keep in mind that Nebuchadnezzar's reign is some 43 years. So um, I believe there's probably some time there um, between yeah. one event to the next, which can easily be missed, right? And, and seeing it, you know, thinking, well, time has a way of, uh, of, of you know, kind of nulling and, and, uh, and dimming the, the remembrance of, of what we should be holding. And it happens to us too, right? Um, when we're struggling. And then also, Kind of maybe, and this is from the CPH commentary that I I had no idea until reading the commentary on on chapter three that uh that the revolt the revolt in the years um five ninety four ninety five in that time frame where Nebuchadnezzar had to put down a revolt against his power and as he did that then he's calling you know that makes sense then of calling all these officials to show him full allegiance. Um, and, and to call all these people in, right. And a very worldly sense of making sense, obviously not a theological, not an eternal sense, um, that doesn't make any sense, but in the sense that, you know, he's got to figure out who is with me and who's against me. Mm -hmm. Well, then he's going to erect this image. You know, if you bow down to that, you're showing me true reverence. Obviously there's probably a different way to do that. Um, and we would, we would encourage our leaders that they don't need to enforce false worship to, to have allegiance. Um, but that's what he's doing. And, and that kind of historical setting kind of helped me to understand 
this kind of wild swings that we have with Nebuchadnezzar. It does. It does make a lot of sense because you have him in 2 verse 47 saying to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, a revealer of mysteries, et cetera, et cetera. So he's, he's not you know, saying, okay, there's only one God and it's yours, which is where we'd like him to be. He says, okay, I, I have your God on the shelf with all my other gods, but I'm going to move him to the top shelf because he's obviously really good at being God. He's the God of gods. So that's not quite repentance, but it's certainly an acknowledgement that Yahweh is powerful. And then it does help to understand that he doesn't go directly, as humorous as it is to think about it this way, from, oh, yeah, that dream, that dream idea, that's a, that's a pretty good idea. I should build me a big giant statue. But at the same time, you know, the, we, this happens to us too. We may come to repentance uh, about a situation, and then as time passes, the feeling of that, uh, that guilt and remorse that drove us to needing, you know, repentance, then kind of becomes a distant memory, and we sometimes fall back into that sin again. So for someone who has surrounded himself with all of these yes men and who is, you know, in his mind and sometimes kind of literally the king of the entire world, he definitely has um, a lot of temptation to fall back into his old ways. And he certainly is doing that here. And that idea about the revolt and making sure people are, are, are being loyal to him. Yeah, that does add a, a new context that I hadn't considered before. All right, so let's read then the first seven verses. We have 30 to get through, but this first seven is just about him setting up the golden image. Here we go. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come up to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So, I wonder if it was King Nebuchadnezzar who had that golden image set up, according to this text. Uh, Daniel doesn't make it very clear, does he? The only times that it becomes a little bit more clear is when he's uh, the accusations against. So we'll get some accusations and uh, it seems clear that he is uh, definitely involved in the setting up, you know, that uh, that you have set up my image. So we'll get that in, in, a, in a little bit, too. But, yeah. Well, yeah. I guess I was pointing out that he does this repetition, though, over and over and over that King Nebuchadnezzar is the one who's setting this up. And then he repeats over and over again sort of the list of all the people who are to come and pay homage to it. Certainly that's significant. 
It is. It is. There, there should be no doubt um, that uh, the king uh, has made his command. Um, and, and in this command, he has um, gone overboard, <laughs> amazingly overboard to uh, draw the attention of, of everyone's hopes, wishes, dreams, fears. Um, everything is directed to himself. And again, uh, Revel- Revelation 13 really brings this home, right? The reality of this throughout all the generations that that, that this is um, this is our sinful pride, and it's and it finds root when when such power is given to to mankind and the governmental authority, and so yeah, the, there is this call, um, but but as as much as the as as humanity cries out to have this reverence and awe that is only to be to be God's the thwarting of it is all the more loud, right? When, when everyone's attention is on Nebuchadnezzar, it's on the, the governmental authorities, look, look, how, look how great they are. It all brings our attention to see how greatly they fall too. Um, and that's really going to be demonstrated here. God uses his arrogance against him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we see here that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up this giant statue and we have the we have the uh, actual dimensions of it right 60 cubits and high and six cubits wide that's pretty large you know it's not uncommon in this era and in this region for giant statues of various gods and even kings to be set up uh, I think there was somewhere a, a 19 foot statue golden statue of Bell the god of the Babylonians. Uh, and here we have a statue of himself, and it is, what is that, 90 feet high by 9 feet wide. That's even hard for at least me to get my mind around how large this golden statue would have been. And there are some who, who tried, even in this, they tried to attack the scriptures. And, and because, like, if you try to recreate that by those dimensions, it seems a bit off to an image of a person, right? The dimensions don't quite make, don't make make the image look appropriate, right? Um, but it doesn't take long to figure out, well, most likely there was a pedestal or some right. something for that image to stand on, and then we're getting the fullness. So, um, yeah, the, the, the ones who attack, uh, attack the, uh, the scriptures on, on these things, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of, it shows them we kind of silly. Um, but yeah, I guess that yeah. would be like a, 10 to 1 ratio. I'm thinking like a, a stretched out Barbie. You know, they, they once took the Barbie doll and said if she was a real human, she couldn't support her own organs. Um, yeah, her poor, so there's her something poor to be said. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's something to be said about how, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is probably more interested in making it as tall and as visible as possible and is not too concerned with, you know, actual, <laughs> um, you know, uh, d- dimensions that wouldn't be appropriate for a human. And as you well, said, we had that race. Yeah, oh, yeah in, in say, as you town, said, most scholars make sense. Yeah. yeah, in our own town, Edwardsville, we we uh, we had uh, Mr. Edward downtown, and he was up on a pedestal for a while until uh, we didn't like having him on a pedestal, being so high above us all. Right? He's just a man like us, so we got rid of the pedestal and we brought him down to size. Right, <laughs> and so now he stands on his own. But before, I mean, he's quite high. Um, so yeah, we, we do the same thing. We, we lift the image up. Uh, so most likely they did too. So artistically, it probably looked fine. Um, but the, the greater, the greater issue here 
is the fact that it its its intention is to be high above everyone else. He is lifted high above everyone. Our attention, our eyes are lifted up, uh, not to the Lord, uh, but to to Him, and our knees are bent not to the Lord, but to Him. Uh, one one note here. Um, it seems like this text is really well known to our children, right? It's a very good mm-hmm. Sunday school lesson or a, um, a VBS lesson, and I'm not discouraging. I encourage that, right? Um, but in our lectionary, it doesn't really uh, doesn't really show up until um, the Easter Vigil. It shows up in the Easter Vigil, and isn't that something, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the time in which we are gathered together. Uh, on in the Passover of our Lord, uh, the deliverance of, of of Jesus, who who causes us to pass with Him to death to life, who is with us when the world, when the world has its greatest, like look at us, we have we're greater e- even than the Son of God. We have destroyed Him, and this <laughs> this is what um, this is the victory of our Lord, His victory over that time of great jubilation of the world against Him. Um, and I, I think it's so fitting that we would read it at that time, just like we're hearing it here, how how jubilant they are, how how high and mighty Nebuchadnezzar is, um, and yet it's all about to fall down. Let's read the next little bit of our text. Uh, we're going to read verses 8 through 18, and this is uh, what happens next. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Well, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. As you can imagine, this made Nebuchadnezzar pretty angry, and we'll see what happens next, but... In this text, we see here that these guys, we, we know them before. These are Daniel's friends, and, and they've been promoted to pretty high positions, and yet here they are bucking the orders of the king. Pretty uh, pretty bold, right, Pastor? It is pretty bold of uh, 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know them as uh, yes. uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but we shouldn't forget their, uh, their, their uh, Hebrew names as well. Um, so yeah, they, they, uh, they did not, they did not worship it. They did not bend the knee. They, they remained faithful. And, and so they're accused and they're in their accusation. There's, um, there, there actually, uh, there are three. So one that they are ignoring the decree of the king. So they're, they're not listening to him. They're not paying attention to him. Um, they're not, uh, keeping in mind his majesty. Um, they're not worshiping the gods. Um, they're not serving the gods. Uh, so that would be kind of a, you know, we, we have those kind of things in the New Testament too, where there's kind of an accusation against Christianity of, of being, um, um, like, uh, atheistic because they're, they're not listening to the gods, plural. Right. And, and then, uh, there's the last accusation that they have not, uh, worshiped or, or fallen down showing reverence to the image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So that, that's, uh, that, that's the charges. <laughs> we, get, we have these clear charges. And, and it was pretty clear from the beginning, if you didn't do that, um, immediately you were supposed to be thrown into the fiery furnace. So, yeah, it's, this, is a, this is a dangerous thing that they're willing to undertake. I'm glad you mentioned their Hebrew names. You know, we, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I think all of our children, as you mentioned earlier, will know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, and yet, they, yeah, they have these Hebrew names. But they're being used here, uh, as Daniel records it, most likely to emphasize that they are to act as the pagans. They are to act like Babylonians. They have been rechristened, just as uh, our Lord and God has rechristened people throughout history. They are rechristened. They should have this new identity, and this is the identity to which they should cling. And they actually don't have problems with that for the most part. It's only when it crosses that line. And we today, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, we, we face these times where we have to decide where is the line. Certainly, they've done a lot of things in the, in the service of the king, in the execution of their jobs, that would have been probably not exactly what they want to do. But they, but they do it because it's it's their job. And it, but where's that line? And I think that's what's so tough in this text. The line's super clear. Here's a giant ninety foot statue. Bow down, worship as a god. But that line's not always clear. And I think that's where this text is both helpful, but also not helpful. Because in their case, no one could have argued with them that. Well, you know, if you just do this one thing. Well, then you'll have, I don't know, you know, more opportunities to, to proclaim about your God, or you won't be put to death. And if you're put to death, then how can you bring more people to the true God? And so you, you see this, you see the conundrum that they're in, but they, they are steadfast. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and yet in their position, they don't, they don't seem to use their position and call upon it to start another revolt either you know that they're right. they're true to the fact of who they are um they they are they are the people of god so they they won't they won't cross that clear line <laughs> um and, and yet they're not saying and and now it's time to gather up the troops and and everyone who comes in to, to lay hand on me i'm gonna you know chop off their ear they they don't right. they don't take up the sword do they um they're they're willing to submit to the uh authority even if it, it looks like they're pretty sheepish, 
right? Um, and I, I think that's important to see too, that there's a willingness to endure, um, but, um, but their, their endurance is the, the confession of their faith. You know, they're, they're not willing to uh, go against the king. If the king's going to, the king's going to make this decree, uh, well and good, you know, but they're going to remain steadfast. Um, so I, I do think that there is uh, many things to learn here. Like you said, they, they are willing to, to go along with certain, uh, certain, certain things like the name change. Um, they, they didn't say, well, no, I'm, I'm uh, Hananiah and I won't be known as anything else with Hananiah to my death. And it's like, well, that's not, that's not the, the line of, of death. And it's like, well, I'll serve the king. Well, he's a pagan king who, who thinks himself to be divine. Well, even that, he's like, well, but you're my king. You're, you're not a good king, but God is the one who establishes authority. Um, and he gives it, it, you know, next chapter, you'll see he gives it to the lowest, the lowest of humans. Um, oh, okay, yes. uh, that's coming. Um, that's a tough one to, to swallow for anyone who's in authority. Um, it's not because of your greatness, but because of God's greatness. It's your weakness that he is working through. Um, so the, they've got all these things. Um, and yet there is that point where, no, this is, this is not, not something I can, I cannot, I cannot worship any, anything else. Cause my, my main reason of being submissive to you is because I'm first submissive uh, to God who has established you. Yeah, and I think that's what's fascinating. We see here that eventually they actually submit to the king one way or the other. They either submit yep. to him as it as it uh, you know applies to you know well there's this command we're going to submit to these commands and once it becomes a command that is a compromise of their faith they're not going to submit to that but they'll they'll submit to the punishment that very well may come from it and and we know that they do and we're going to look into that when we come back from our break. So just hang on there, listeners. We'll be back in just a few moments with the Reverend John Shem. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because Good Lutheran Books for Kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Pastor, before the break, we were talking about how, well, you know, they're going to refuse this edict of the king because it compromises their clear confession in the one true God. But we also know what's coming up next. They're going to face the consequences. Um, anything else before we add that text to our discussion? Yeah, it seems um, seems more than uh, it, none of us want to have to to bear it, but um, but it is what we all confess, right? Uh, this is our our confirmation confession that we're willing to bear all, even death, and fall away from it. Um, I, I hope and pray 
that I never have to be faced with such a, a time in which my life is literally on the line. Uh, and yet having examples of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, we are filled with such, um, such encouragement, um, that, that we would too remain faithful to the Lord. This might seem like a simplistic question, but one thing I've always thought about when I read this text is it talks about how they should bow down and worship this idol whenever they hear this variety of instruments. And I suppose in my mind, I always thought that there was this call to worship, you know, kind of like the Mezuin's call for, for Muslims to come to prayer on Fridays. But upon rereading it a couple times, it just seems to me like every time they hear any kind of music, they should bow down and worship. What is your take on it? Yeah, it seems, you know, it seems like we have a bit of a whole uh, parade of realities, right? Um, so I'm not, I, I guess I, I never thought about that. Any, any kind of worship. I mean, that's, it seems it's an interesting point, you know, maybe, maybe this is uh, a little bit a little bit bigger than what I even thought, you know, I guess when I'm hearing all of this, I'm thinking about it like parading through town and right. I'm thinking about, um, this big coronation where all these dignitaries from maybe, you know, we've got a thought maybe even from Jerusalem too, are being called up, uh, and coming to one big, uh, reality, one big festival one big uh, consecration mm -hmm. where everybody is there, where that's why it'd be so obvious that we have these three unwilling to bend down because they're the ones still standing up. That is how it's usually portrayed, like in images yeah. and such like that. So, yeah, yeah. Or maybe that's it. Maybe that solves the issue. It's just I've always had those different ideas bouncing around in my head and it just occurred to me. So that's very uh, interesting. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like uh, the idea of every time you pass a church, you should make the sign of the cross. You know, it's like every time they hear right. music, they have to go, OK, wait a minute. You know, but no, I, I guess I would lean more towards that. I think it is a little bit ambiguous. We know they're gathering the people yeah. together. I guess I've always thought that the gathering of these officials was to then take that message to their people so that all the peoples would bow down. But then, yeah, if, you, if it's one event that's going on, this particular dedication, then that makes sense, too. Yeah, anyway, well, just think, one of those random know. thoughts I, I have. You, you might be right, because it definitely seems like there's more than one occasion because of what we have before us with. With uh, with Nebuchadnezzar with the with the three saying, you know, if you're ready to do it now, here let's play the you know. So, um, yeah, I think what you said there, mate. Now it's now now you're making me think. Um, maybe obviously it's it's got to be more than once. So yeah, very interesting. Well, these will be some uh, rabbit holes that we'll go down once we're off the air. <laughs> if we come up with anything interesting, I'll interesting, I'll bring it back to the air. All right, so I'm going to read verses 19 uh, through 25. So we're almost through the chapter. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, that's kind of in the middle of what's going on, but I do want to stop there as we just take it chunk by chunk. I think it's clear why our kids remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see that continual repetition of their names in Daniel's somewhat comedic style. You know, he repeats he repeats like the instructions of the king. He repeats these names. He repeats all the lists of the people who have to come and, and pay homage to this particular <laughs> idol. And, 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 you know, some commentators say that he does this because he's wanting to show the comedic vain adherence of the pagans to their religion. It's just like this Pavlovian effect where they, you know, they just told, they just do. It's not even that they really believe. It's just, okay, this is just part of our life. We have to worship when the king says worship, worship what the king says worship. They really are not free thinkers as people today might say. And here we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego willing to face the fiery furnace. And they do. You know, how many are, who? how many say, I would die for my faith. And yet, you know, a lot of them don't even get up in the morning for their faith to come to church. So we have these guys who are putting their uh, their their lives on the line for their confession, and they get what they ask for. They get thrown into the fiery furnace. But good things happen, it seems. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I do agree with that thought, and it it rings tree, true to me that the repetition is building up this house of cards that that really does just cumbering depth. Comes crumbling down, you know, this thought of all power, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is, is really just the epitome of what, um, uh, what lives within every one of us, a sense of pride. You know, he's, he's, he even asks who can deliver you out of what God could deliver you out of my, my hands. Of course they answer that. Of course our God can, and we believe that our God will. Um, but even if he doesn't, so, I mean, that, that also helps us, right? That, that, this last section, it even helps us um, because it, it's, not just, it's not just that they're saying, well, God, God would never let us die. Well, that's not their faith. Their faith right. is not that, you know, you know if, we, if we follow God, no bad thing will ever happen to us in our lives. I mean, that would be, that'd be amazingly foolish. Um, amazingly foolish to understand, you know, to have that kind of, that um, maybe um, kind of more juvenile, a lack of maturity of our faith to understand that, no, the, the Christian life is, is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Well, what does he look like? Well, he looks like one who is hanging on a, on a cross. So we will be called to suffer in this confession, in the needs of our neighbor, but also in our needs too, that we need, that, that everything that I have is is now been given to me as a gift to be able to lay down at my Lord's feet. Even my life, I can lay it down at his feet, saying, yes, I, I, I believe in you like this, to this point too, Lord, um, to the point of, of saying, yes, I believe that my Lord could. He is the one of deliverance, but even if he doesn't, I'm not going to do this. Um, and that kind of faith, I mean, that, that enraged him when he saw that they were, they were so devoted to some someone else but him. I mean, that enrages the devil 
It enrages our sinful pride. It enrages the powers of this world uh, against them. And, and that's where that's where we have them thrown in, right? Yeah, he, he, it's one thing for them to disregard his order as given through his prefects and satraps, et cetera, et cetera. It's quite another thing for them to look him in the face and say, no, we're not going to obey. And, and his irrationality is on display, vindictiveness. He's going to heat it seven times hotter. And yeah, it's just, and he kills his own people doing it, but he doesn't care. You know, and no. if he is a God, he's not a God who cares about his people. So this false God, this false idol that he set himself up to be is not only demonstrated to be completely powerless because they're saved from the fiery furnace, but it's shown to be a evil, wicked God, which yeah. uh, really betrays who is behind all the false gods. And that is, of course, this fallen angel, Satan, who is constantly trying to be God, even though he's not. And the wickedness comes through. And you yeah. make a, such an important point about how. They did not, and I don't know even if our kids get this when we teach it in Sunday school. They did not say, send us into the fiery furnace. We know we'll be saved. That is such an important point. They said, send us into the fiery furnace because we, are, we would rather die in flames than even hint that we don't believe in the one true God or to confess in a false God. And I think that's shifted. You know, over the past few years, we've had folks who are like, you know, oh, so such and such is against my religion with the idea that, well, then, therefore, you should have special treatment. Now, while we certainly in our country want to stand up for our religious rights, you know, at the end of the day, religious rights aren't something that we find in the scriptures. Scriptures urge us to submit to human authority until such point they're asking us to go against God's command. Then we submit to God instead, but then we have to endure the consequences. And sometimes those consequences are fiery furnaces. It, it reminds me of the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's been out forever. But the three main characters uh, break out of jail. And one, he sees the baptism going on and he goes and he gets baptized and he comes out and he's completely forgiven. And so he kind of has in his head that, well, since God's forgiven him, then, you know, he must not have to worry about having broken out of jail or the crimes he committed. And George Clooney's character goes, well, God may have forgiven you, but the state of Illinois is a little more hard nosed. And that's what we have to kind of realize is that just because we can appeal to a good conscience and we can appeal to a faith given to us by God and we can appeal to the reality there's more to life than this life, we really don't have any ability to say, well, now we don't have to submit to the consequences that come from our rebellion against the authorities because evil authorities still oftentimes have the upper hand in this life. Yeah, it really comes back down to again and again, what is our hope? And their hope wasn't deliverance for this life. Cause then they, I mean, in that way, they're kind of like Nebuchadnezzar, right? If they were like, um, God will give me uh, glory. If, if I fight against Nebuchadnezzar, I will be glorified. I will be lifted up. A man will, everybody see me like, uh oh, yeah, I, I kind of want to be the image, don't I? I want to be the, instead they, they are so caught up in what they really want, which is the Lord. And so their prayer is, yes, they're praying to the Lord, but they're also praying for the Lord, for the Lord to come to them uh, and be their God. And if he's their God, whether they live or they die, they belong to the Lord and they'll be his. And so <laughs> it, it, really makes, it really makes the world mad 
it really it really frustrates yep. the world when we just don't care about the things that the world cares about. And yes, the world might rage in and they might, there definitely are. And it's, it's a horrible reality. It's not one that we're laughing about the martyrs uh, who have to give their life in such faith, but I'm laughing at the world that think right. that that's going to have an effect on the church. The only effect that has on the church is for us to go, wow, isn't that embolden enough to stand up along with them? Not that we're running towards the furnace. No, but I'm standing with the Lord. And if the furnace comes, the furnace comes um, because my Lord delivers. He is a God of deliverance. It's difficult for me to put it in my head, but at some, in some way, this furnace was able was large enough for them to be able to walk around in because that's what King Nebuchadnezzar sees. And it was also situated in such a way that the king was hanging around to watch them burn. I think that that tells us a little bit more about his vindictiveness, too. This was, frankly, a common punishment in this era, and not just for the Babylonians to burn people alive. But this is such that he's able to see them. He jumps up, and he sees not three men, but four men, and he describes the fourth. Uh, it's translated in different ways. The King James translates it as like the son of God. I think that's a little presumptuous on their part to think that King Nebuchadnezzar has any concept of the Trinity. But the uh, our text says a son of the gods, which is a little bit more consistent with what King Nebuchadnezzar would have said with his own theological understandings. Regardless, there's a fourth person in there, and that's amazing. We normally consider that to be a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, right, Pastor? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, partly because of, of how he says it, but but also the reality of the deliverance, that God is the one who delivers us. God is the one who comes and only, um, and, you know, it comes from their their lips too, right? When, when Nebuchadnezzar challenges and says that, no, there is no God who could deliver you, and they say that their God could deliver me. That's not their, uh, that's not like we've been talking about. That's not their only hope that they'd be delivered from this fiery furnace, but from the eternal fiery furnace, which is much worse than this one. Um, and, and so in that confession, they go and there is God. Uh, there is his son, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ who comes, uh, this amazing theophany, um, that God would be, would be in their midst. And they would be untouched, unsinged. Um, and uh, though the world would, would rage and desire their demise, um, our God is the only one. He is the only one. He is uh, the God of life. And there is nothing that happens um, apart from, uh, from his, his will. So it is uh, his will to come and, and rescue, to demonstrate. And even this is a, a great mercy to Nebuchadnezzar, isn't it? Um, that uh, that he would be there to see the deliverance of God. Yeah, his his anger, his sin, his pride is all run away. You know, it's it's run away for him, and he can't really get a control of it. And this event is a beautiful display of gospel. You know, these men, even if this whatever this appearance is was an angel, or even if it wasn't the pre-incarnate Son of God, as theologians like to you know argue back and forth about, it really doesn't matter. You know, these people are saved by the one true God, and and this is a display for all to see, because they could have been saved in any number of ways, but for them to be uh, saved in such a way that the, the so-called king of the world could see it, 
yeah, is absolutely a, an act of mercy for him. We just have a few more verses, 26 through 30, to get under our belt. Let's do that so that we can finish strong. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw that the, the fire had no power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So, so you know, this uh, Nebuchadnezzar guy, he, he, he flip-flops like a modern-day politician. You know, as soon as he sees any semblance of power in their god, he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. That god's awesome. And in fact, if you don't think so, too, I'm going to tear you limb from limb and destroy your homes. Not exactly kind of how God wants rulers to work even in his name, but he's, he's starting to get it again until he forgets it again, as we'll continue to read. But yes, and then they get another promotion out of it. Good for them. Uh, interesting end of the story, uh, and I should, shouldn't say story, the narrative. This is not something that's false. It is something that happened in history to real people, and it's fascinating. Yeah, this account, it definitely shows us, um, yeah, the fickleness of our, our sinful uh, human weakness because of the fall, right? At one moment, we see God's deliverance and we're, we're uh, filled to uh, praise his holy name. God is our God to deliver us. And maybe we see this too with our, our members sometimes, right? That there is a, a great, uh, maybe they're uh, struggling in their faith, right? And then there's something that happens in their life. And so they finally call out to you, pastor, come and pray with us, which is great. What a wonderful thing that they remember prayer and coming to the Lord and seeking the Lord. And so we do, and, and God has a reprieve and, and, and they have been delivered and they're like, there is no God, but our God. And then, you know, it's probably not a month later before they're once again, not attending <laughs> church. And, and right. it's like, oh man, we do the same thing, right? We do the same thing where it's like, we have such praise of God at one moment when things are, are great. And then um, you know, things smooth out and we're just back to our, our ways. And, and yet this reminds us, God is, God is with us always. He is, he is always present. He is always here. And he always is a God of a delivering, even, even here from our, from ourselves. And that's the greatest deliverance we need, um, from our own sin or deliver me. Yeah. So we've been through an entire chapter of Daniel chapter three, 30 verses, uh, brother, where's Daniel? Where is Daniel? Uh, I think it's clear in Daniel chapter two, uh, the end of chapter two, um, that Daniel's with the king's court, and now uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the providences. So as uh, as maybe the revolt, as the issues that he has had to deal with brings him out to kind of deal with things further out, he has to go west. 
and he goes there and he deals with it. So this is a chapter where um, he has to go further out from maybe capital city uh, and, and goes out into the, in the western parts of the providences. And, and, and there he comes into contact with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So that's why uh, they take center stage here. I think that's yeah. uh, the helpful it's, it's reality mentioning because. Two. Yeah, it's worth mentioning because, you know, this is another place where people have tried to attack the scriptures to say, well, you know, we don't see Daniel in this book. So therefore, this must have been inserted later, some sort of, you know, extra, <laughs> extra biblical story that just sort of fit here. And, and that just doesn't make any sense as if as yeah. if Daniel can't report on the things that don't involve him. Absolutely. And and um, and we've got that. Like I said, it's right there at the end of chapter two and right here at the end of chapter three. Um, that they have been elevated. I wonder how often, you know, they, they get these promotions where they want to turn back to Nebuchadnezzar and be like, you know what? No, thanks. It never worked out well for us. Can right. we take a demotion? Can we take a demotion? Instead? You know, um, but yeah, no. Uh, so they're elevated up and God be praised for it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I wonder, you know, you talked about um, Daniel knowing about them. I wonder if they know more about Isaiah. You know, I wonder if they were encouraged from Isaiah. So if I could, maybe just a couple lines from Isaiah 43. Um, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. For the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And, and maybe they're holding on to that. I know, I know they're holding on to God's word. Maybe they're holding right. on to that word in the midst of saying, well, if you want to throw me in the fire, that's fine. The Lord will be with me. Maybe uh, my body will be all consumed. And one day my body will be consumed. I will turn to the dots. Um, but I'm believing in the God, the God of the resurrection. I, I believe in a God who, who created us. And he's going to redeem us. And he saved us. He saved us once from a tyrant king. He's going to save us again. I, I, I'm not afraid of you. I'm the one who lives in fear of the Lord. And therefore, I do not need to fear anything else. And that is the greatest encouragement to us all. That as we live in fear of the Lord, we do not need to fear anything else. Trust in the Lord always, right? And uh, lean not on our own understanding um, because he is the one. He is the one who sent his son and he passed through death to life. And so we don't need to fire, fear the fiery furnace of condemnation for our sins, uh, for we have a salvation in Jesus that is greater. Amen. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Thank you, pastor, for being on the show. Well, thank you very much. It's always an honor. And thank you too, dear listeners, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Join us tomorrow as we turn the page to Daniel chapter four, another vision and the king uh, experiences uh, lycanthropy. That's strange. What could it mean? Tune in to find out. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.